following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! Are you ready for a break? Uh, yes. Are you ready for a break? Absolutely. Ready for a break? Yeah, and um, so much for that. It's time for The Break on DallasCowboys.com. We were on the break! With Nick Eatman, David Hellman, Ambar Garcia, and Derek Eagleton. Wednesday, December 16th, 2020, season 16, episode number 81. Welcome to the latest edition of The Break, presented by Geico. I'm live from the SWBC Mortgage Studios at the Star. We got Dave and Amber. Nick is not joining us today, but we have a replacement for him that I think might be even better. We got Bucky Brooks, who usually joins us to talk about the opponent, but he's going to join us all show today. I like that. We're going to talk about uh, everything today. We're going to start with the, uh, or we're going to get to the talk about uh, Cowboys versus 49ers. But uh, before we get to that, though, we got to catch up on some injury updates. Dave, give us an update on the secondary, particularly Anthony Brown, Cheeto Wuzier, uh, Trayvon Diggs, and Donovan Wilson. Well, it's way too early to know if they're going to play, but all of those guys are supposed to do something, I believe, uh, particularly the injured guys. Um, you know, Anthony Brown, Donovan Wilson, Tra- and Trayvon Diggs. Yes, Trayvon Diggs is going to be limited in practice on Wednesday. So I can tell I'm a four and nine with three games left. Like, I'm excited to see if, you know, this full secondary has not been available all season. And. Maybe they will be for for two or three of these final games, and that's exciting. Bucky, I'm going to ask you this question from the standpoint. Yes, yes, it is, Ag. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, you're, yes. you're talking. Okay, Trevon Diggs is exciting, but you're talking about the rest of the group. Well, I guess Donovan Wilson. We haven't. We've we've gotten to see we've gotten to see Donovan for like two okay, or three games. Okay, okay. I guess half of the half of them. Yes, the other half not so much because we didn't see any any much excitement prior to the injury. So hater, yes. hey. hater in the house. <laughs> yes. Well, well, Dave, she told you yesterday. This is the amber you're going to get for the rest of the season. So this should not be a surprise. This is what we're going to get for the rest of the season. This is hater amber, and it's going to be there until the season is done. Uh, Bucky, I wanted to ask you this question as a former uh, secondary player, as a scout. Um, how much can a young guy like a Trayvon Diggs, who had he was basically thrown into the fire this year, he was having to guard in a lot of instances some of the better receivers in the league and matchups that the Cowboys had because they just didn't have a lot of their starters available to them early in the season. How much can a young guy like that learn on the sideline? because he's been out for these last several weeks. Is that a time where he really can reflect on some of his experiences at that point and then kind of make things make more sense watching from the sideline while he's injured? Yeah, he can learn a lot. He can learn a lot in terms of understanding where he fits within the scheme. So really understanding what the rules of are the scheme. So what I do in our cover four, am I rolling the post am I playing man to man some of the intricacies that he probably couldn't get because the game is going so fast he now has an opportunity to look at these guys do it in practice to do it in games to review the film to hear the questions and conversations that the coaches are having with the players and maybe take some of that in but the best way to really understand it is to play it and do it and so he'll miss those real reps but depending upon how diligent he was in terms of getting the mental reps and asking questions and taking notes he certainly can be a much better player 
coming back than he was when he departed. Yeah, that's really my hope for him at this point is that this, this allowed the game to slow down a little bit for him, and we will see even better play in these final three games if he can manage to get out there. Um, let's talk a little bit about Tyler Biotish. Um, he was active last week coming back from his injury, but he only played six snaps and they were on special teams. Amber, do you expect him to return to the starting center role, and should he return to that role uh, if you were making that decision? I think so. I, I think uh, once he's healthy, I know Mike McCarthy talked about him and just kind of saying they're easing him back in and we saw a couple of plays, but it's it's something that they're going to be careful with as opposed to just throwing him in there. But yes, I would. And it, this is this has nothing to do with Joe Looney. I still think that if the season would be going a different way, then I would want Joe Looney to be the center, the starting center. But at this point, like you guys mentioned, you want to see these young guys out there. You want to see them getting reps. We know that that game day reps are very different than practice reps and training camp reps. So this time is very crucial to rookie guys like him. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I'm really curious about that. You know, McCarthy isn't going to give too much away. He said today that, you know, we're going to keep trying to give Tyler opportunities. We're going to ease him back. No idea what that means, um, but I would absolutely put him back into the starting lineup. Tyler Biotish has a definitive future here, and we all love Joe Looney, but he doesn't. He's up for a new contract in the spring, and you know he's he's signed two or three contracts with the Cowboys at this point. Who knows how many more they would want to sign him to? Whereas you know Tyler's got three more seasons on his rookie deal after this he's you know he's the heir to the starting job and he needs the reps I would plug him back in there as soon as I feel comfortable about his health but I think a lot of it would depend upon I think I think a lot of it depend upon if they're eliminated from the playoffs I think right now the way the offensive line has been going they've been playing well of late I don't think you necessarily want to tinker with the chemistry until you're eliminated. If you're eliminated, I would think that he would be named a starter. He'd get right in the lineup and get those reps. But as long as they have like a sliver of hope, I think they're probably going to keep it as it is because they finally got it going in the right direction. Who do you think is the better player at this point, Joe Looney or Tyler Biotish? I mean, I think Biotish obviously has more upside. I mean, Looney's able to do it because of experience and trickery. He knows all the tricks of the trade and how to kind of use the, the, his neighbors to help him. But eventually, Tyler Biotish is going to be the starter and hopefully a long-term starter. So you do want to get him in the lineup. But I can't understand from a coach's mind because they're thinking here and now, let's go with the veteran, let's go with the crew that's been going the last few weeks, and then we'll deal with it whenever we have to deal with it if we're eliminated. All right, let's go ahead and move into the segment, Bucky, where we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the San Francisco 49ers offense versus the Dallas defense. This segment presented by Chevron with Techron. We'll start where we normally start. Give us the greatest asset and greatest weakness of the San Francisco offense. Greatest asset is Kyle Shanahan. Um, this is a team that is very systematic in how they approach it. He is by far one of the best play designers in football, particularly in the run game. He does an outstanding job of creating mismatches and big play opportunities in the run. And all of the teams that have traditionally given the Cowboys problems, he is basically the master of the scheme. And so when you think about the Cleveland Browns, it's the same zone scheme. You think about what some of the other teams have been able to do successfully. Um, Baltimore, some of that stuff applies, but he is going to attack the, the Cowboys the way that everybody has. This is a team that utilizes pre-snap shifts in motion on 70% of their down. So 
It's a lot of eye candy, a lot of movement, a lot of misdirection. And based on how we've seen Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith and those guys get lost, I would expect him to have all the gimmicks and all of the shell game going to really make it tough for them to find the ball. And then when it comes to um, just a hodgepodge of running backs, and the reason I talk so much about him is because they throw anybody in at running back. It could be Raheem Mostert. It could be Jeff Wilson. It can be any of those guys that are available. We've seen those guys go over 100 yards because the combination of the scheme and the way that he dials it up makes it very, very difficult. And so it's a very challenging offense to deal with, particularly when he also uses the wide receivers in the running game. Brandon Ayuk is basically a wingback. Going back to your high school days playing in the wing tee, he's the wingback that is half running back, half receiver. They're going to give him a number of carries. Debo Samuels is out, so I would expect Brandon Ayuk to take a bigger workload when it comes to the running game and those things. And then the biggest weakness is the quarterback position. Nick Mullins is up and down. He's hot and cold. Maybe they play C.J. Beathard because Mullins has struggled of late. But either way, those guys aren't great. But what Shanahan does is does a great job of creating opportunities where they can't miss. And so even bad quarterbacks look good in this system. And so it is a huge challenge for the Cowboys, one they have to really earn to win. Could you please talk more about the receivers and how those matchups may look like we know how beat up this secondary is and, and all of that so is that an area where it could possibly become a threat for the Cowboys absolutely so what Kyle Shanahan wants to do is he wants to use the running game as bait to really bait the trap so you guys are out of place and then he takes a shot misdirection deep shots and those things full full flow play action max protect and take a shot down the field and so what has to happen is mike nolan has to make a decision very early in the game how am i going to stop the run am i going to drop an extra defender in the box we've seen in the past what they do is they'll show like a five-man line they'll drop a safety in the box have an eight-man front and they'll leave their cornerbacks one-on-one well the problem with that is you'll now see them keep everybody in and they'll run two-man routes where you have Kendrick Bourne or Brandon Ayuk running double moves or deep overs or crossers and the Cowboys have had a tough time picking up some of those old school routes so this I would say from an offensive standpoint is one of the biggest challenges and it's not because of the personnel but it's because of the guy who has the joystick in his hand and Kyle Shanahan. Buggy I feel like you kind of outlined all of my concerns pretty thoroughly And that's what I know of watching the 49ers is that even with a compromised quarterback position between the amount of motion that they do, between the amount of different guys that they use in the running game, it's a lot to it's a lot to keep track of. Like, I feel like every time I turn their games on, like you said, Ayuk or when he's healthy, Debo Samuels going around the end. They got like 18 different running backs that have had success in that offense. What confidence should I have that the Cowboys are up to that challenge? I mean, and you know, in a normal matchup, you say like, okay, they don't have a good quarterback. You crowd the box and confidence that the Cowboys can do that. I kind of lean toward no. I think I think the number one priority has to be to stop the run because we've seen uh, if they can't stop the run, teams will absolutely obliterate them. Uh, we've seen 300-yard games, 294-yard games from the thing. So this has to be a concerted effort that you sell out to stop the run, and then you just have to live with what you give up in the passing game. I think the one thing you can encourage the DBs is just keep the ball in front. Like, keep the ball in front of the defense, rally and tackle. Just don't let them have the explosive big plays in the passing game. If they can die a slow death on defense and maybe – 
buckle, buckle down in the red zone and force them to kick field goals, that's a win for the defense. But this is all hands on deck to stop the running game. And the one thing that I'm very confident in is Kyle Shanahan has looked at the Redskins, the Ravens, the Browns. He has looked at that tape over and over and over again. And he is going to test the Cowboys front to see if they have answered those problems that popped up. And if they haven't, they're going to have a strong dose of runs. And you may not see them throw a pass. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> as you talk about as you talk about this running attack, um, and you were talking about how he uses all these different backs, it actually, for those who have been around watching the NFL for a while, they may understand what I'm talking about. But it reminds me of, of his dad, Mike Shanahan, when he was in Denver. It seemed like they would run any running back in there. Uh, like, I'm a fantasy football player, and literally it would be, you didn't care who was the running back. You just wanted whoever was the starting running back in Denver because you knew they were going to get off because he was going to figure out how to make uh, create opportunities for them. And it was even different kind of backs. He liked those one-cut kind of backs. Uh, but, but I say all that to get to Raheem Mostert, who is leading this team in rushing right now. He's an extremely fast running back. Uh, but since his return from injury, he's only gained 43 yards against the Rams, 42 yards against Buffalo, and then 65 yards against the Washington football team. Is this a function of the quality of the run defenses he's faced? Is it his health? Or is it something else? And how much of a problem will he particularly be for this struggling Dallas run defense? Uh, the three defenses that you listed are really, really good at the front line. Uh, the L.A. Rams have Aaron Donald, who's a problem. Their run defense, their defense overall has been really good. Um, when you think about um, the Washington football team, their D-line, loaded. They can single-handedly wreck shot with those guys up front. We've seen them make a run because the defensive front has been able to do it. And then Buffalo has gotten better on defense, and they're a try-hard group. So it's more a byproduct of the competition, not as much about him. But what I do know about him, he is described as all those guys you just talked about in Denver. Downhill, run, one-cut running back, very decisive, not a lot of dancing. They pride themselves in not having negative runs. And so they tell their offensive line, your job is to get the running back four yards. Once you get the four yards running back, it's on your job to do anything out of that. But they live for the four-yard run. And over time, it wears you down. And unlike a little bit those old Denver teams that you talk about, what they used to do is they used to cut you down on the backside. And so what would happen, after they cut the D-line the first quarter to, those guys wouldn't chase as hard. And then you would see these huge gaps where they would come out the back door. And so my concern is, will Dallas play hard enough up front to withstand all of the chop blocking and those things where they can not give up those big plays? Because the play that sticks out in my mind is, Kenyon Drake at the end of the Arizona game, when he ran for 80 yards at the end, you can see those runs happen if the Cowboys don't kind of bring their big boys pass and don't play with the kind of effort that you need to play with to defend a team like this. I guess my next question would be about turnovers, and we know that based on the game we saw uh, last week with the Cowboys defense, much of their success became it came from turnovers and the ability to take away the ball. Is are, How good are the 49ers at protecting their ball, and is this a game where the defense could possibly have not an, a similar game to that where they can get their hands on the ball and get it to the offense? You know, it's all about really if they can win first down, then they can have a chance. Winning first down means holding the team to 
four yards or fewer. So now they can put Nick Mullins in situations where he has to pass and obvious passing downs. What the Niners want to do, because they're such a pass, play-action pass-heavy team, they want to be in what we call mixed downs, where it's second and five, and as a D coordinator, you don't know if it's run or pass, or it's first and 10, and you're gearing up to stop the run, and that's when they hit you with the play-action pass. And so it's about winning the early downs, so Mike Nolan can dictate the turns with the call. Um, if they can get them backed up, yes, Nick Mullins will turn the ball over, not only on interceptions, but on fumbles, because he can be careless with the ball. But it's about stopping the run early to be able to get into those situations where you can pin your ears back and go after him. I know you mentioned him at the top as, you know, they use him as a flanker. He's got, you know, he's done a lot of stuff in the running game. But looking at it, Brandon Ayuk, like, I don't, is he getting enough credit for how good of a rookie season that he's having? Because he's got fairly comparable stats to CeeDee Lamb. And obviously he's only had Jimmy Garoppolo for four or five games this season. What, and I mean, obviously he's a first round pick. We knew he was a good receiver. But what I mean, what does he look like? How comfortable does he look, and and how much potential does he have to hurt this defense as a true wide receiver? I'll say um, the Cowboys are very very lucky that Debo Samuel's is out, because what happens is when you have Debo Samuel's and Brandon Ayuk, you have two of the exact same guy. They're physical, they're tough, they're outstanding with the ball in their hands, and the best way to describe it is like I said, as a wingback. They're basically running backs at the wide receiver position, and the Niners do a great job of putting the ball in their hands. Fly sweeps, end arounds, quick passes, crossing routes. They want those guys to basically have punt returns where they're kidding it on the move and they're running through tackles on the perimeter. He has been a fantastic player. And as a first rounder, um, he's lived up to exactly what they want. And so as they build this team out with Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk and Jimmy Garoppolo, this is a very tough offense to deal with. Luckily, Debo Samuels isn't available, and the Cowboys don't have to worry about that part of their offense. That was our breakdown with Bucky Brooks presented by Chevron with Techron. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, I got some questions for this group about the Dallas defense. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. This is DallasCowboys.com radio. There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Grisol for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. Since 1865, Stetson hats are American-made with pride right here in Texas. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Want to show your Texas and team pride too? You can. By purchasing your own Stetson, you can look just like how the flag guys do on field at every home game. Stetson hats, the official crown of all self-respecting Cowboys and your favorite football team. Get yours today at shop.dallascowboys.com or at stetson.com. I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. 
Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. Dear, it's 1908. Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm, and stop using candles to see at night. It's just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall? Nope. May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Back to the break. Welcome back. It is the second segment of The Break, presented by Geico, live from the SWBC Mortgage Studios at the Star. We've got uh, Dave and Amber and Bucky Brooks joining us for the remainder of the show because Nick is out today. So uh, let's jump in. Let's talk about this Dallas defense. Um, earlier this week, Jerry Jones, it may have even been late last week, Jerry Jones was was talking on an interview uh, with 105.3 The Fan, and he made the comment that if he had it all to do over again, maybe they would have not change the the defensive scheme uh, knowing that they had the challenges or uh, you know now knowing that they had the challenges that they've had with with COVID. My question for you guys is is the scheme change the biggest problem that the Dallas defense has faced this season? I'm gonna start first with you Dave. Yeah I think so Um, just because you know they lost Gerald McCoy on the third day of training camp and obviously you know, they've had to shuffle the secondary a good bit, but we knew the secondary wasn't going to be this elite unit anyway. So I look at it and I say they haven't had nearly the personnel issues that the offenses had. You know, they've had, you know, standard injuries that come with a football season, but they just haven't been decimated of all their most talented players like the offense has. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think it's a little simplistic to pin the whole thing on changing the scheme because, you know, again, I keep saying, like, teams have changed schemes all over the league and they haven't struggled with it to the degree that the Cowboys have. So I think I look at, at it as a, as a, as a you know, an equation between, like, the, they're not that talented, they changed the scheme, and then somewhere in the middle, I think the guys that are here, for whatever reason, just haven't committed to the scheme either. You know, you go back to, like, September and October when the coaches are very subtly suggesting that, like, well, you know, guys revert to what they know when they're not sure what to do, which is basically, like, a very nice way of saying they're not doing what we're asking them to do. They're freelancing. And uh, that leads to really bad results. So I think it's a combination of all three of those things. But you could probably eliminate two of them if you hadn't changed the scheme. So if you had stuck with what you had, you would have a not-that-talented defense, but at least they would have confidence in what they were doing, and maybe, you know, they would probably look a little bit better even if they weren't great. Amber. Well, we all know my football knowledge is somewhat limited, and I am no football expert here, so I'm going to post a question to Bucky because in my eyes and, and I get it you get you have different schemes and all that but at the same time I, I have a hard time understanding why it is so hard to change from schemes like the way I see it is that every football player should be able to adapt to whatever the scheme is and to be able to figure out how to fit in whatever is being asked at the same time if, from a coaching standpoint I see it like you should adjust your scheme based on the talent that you have and, and 
what your players are more capable of doing. But my question, Bucky, is it, it's just that. What, why is it so hard? Why is scheme such a big deal and, and, and so complicated when it comes to a transition and changing between a 4-3 and a 3-4? I don't get it. Man, I think we could do an entire podcast on this issue when it comes to the Cowboys. Uh, one, it starts leadership. Um, Mike Nolan is a drastically different leader than Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard in terms of the way that he commands the room. He's a little more docile in his approach and he wants to teach and maybe negotiate with the players as opposed to kind of demanding and setting high standards and pulling guys out. And so you saw some of that happen early. In terms of the complexity of the scheme, the scheme that was in existence before was very, very simple. It was basically a high school scene. They lined up and the same thing, they did it over and over again and they believed through repetition that you cleared the mind, you allowed guys to play fast and they would make plays because they were more confident because they knew exactly what to do and how to do it and you spent your time coaching effort and those things. Mike Nolan wanted to add more complexity to the thing early on, remember in the opening press conference, he was like, hey, we're just not going to line up in that old high school cover three is too good. Like you have to have more variance or whatever. And so the more that you do, the more variables come into it, the more that you have to explain to the players and the more that they have to understand. And when you have so many moving parts, young guys coming in, veterans coming in, everything, I think a lot was lost in translation. And so without OTAs and all that other stuff, it was just a recipe for disaster. But then once you get into the season, it's on the coordinator to be able to recognize, we're not very good at these things, so I'm only going to call these handful of plays and we're going to get good at that. And it took them a long time to recognize that. And I still don't know if they've settled into, here's what we're good at and we're just going to run these things because this is all that our players understand. So then the follow-up question to that is, do they have the right players right now to be able to play a, successfully play a 3-4 scheme? Dave? No. No, I don't. I mean, no. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't know that they have any of those components. I mean, where, you don't. Okay, then, then I, take me a little I, farther. Take me a little farther and tell me specifically where okay, do you think they sure. need uh, different players or players that maybe you think right now Actually, could work here in this defense? I take that back. Randy Gregory could play in a 3-4, but uh, I've, I've never seen Demarcus Lawrence as a 3-4 guy. It doesn't seem like he's adapted all that well to standing up. You don't really have the bodies that ideally that you need for a 3-4 front, like, you know, the 3-4 ends and the nose tackle. Tyrone Crawford was drafted to do that, but I don't think you would want him to do it now. Um, which, I mean, are you like, are we? And, and I don't even know. It's interesting because we don't know for sure where this is going. I think that's one of the more frustrating things about this season with Mike Nolan is, you know, say what you will about Rod Marinelli, but you knew exactly what he wanted to do and you knew exactly what he wanted his defense to look like. Like, is is like we see we talk about this hybrid stuff are they a four three are they a three four sometimes guys are standing up but it's not a it's not a three it's not a three four front um i this defense has never seemed to have an identity under mike nolan maybe that's because he doesn't have the ideal personnel but will he be here in 2021 to help them acquire the personnel <laughs> that they need or or will i mean even if they do, like, even if let's just let's just hypothesize that Mike Nolan stays here, what what is it going to look like? Is he going to be like, all right, we're going all in on this three four thing, and we're going to draft for that and mold it around that? I I don't really know. And honestly, 
with the personnel that you have here, I w- probably wouldn't want to. I think I said this the other day. Like, Demarcus Lawrence is the best and the most expensive guy, and you're committed to him. And I think he should probably be playing on a four-man line. And so that's that's what I would do. Is uh, And that doesn't mean you have to run Rod's scheme again. But I, I don't know that I would want to just blow this thing up and completely renovate it while I have guys under contract that are tailored for a different scheme. Buck, what are your thoughts? Man, it's tough because they outline a bunch of issues because right now what you have is a mess. You have some of what fits what Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard and those guys want to do, and you have some of what Mike Nolan wants to do. And so the first thing you have to do is figure out are we going to go forward with this marriage with Mike Nolan? Because it doesn't make sense to go forward, but then you're hedging your bet, and then you give him his players, and then in the middle of next season you fire him, and then away you go, you wasted another year. Um, I think it's really a lot of semantics in terms of 3-4 and 4-3. Like, you have four bodies, and whether you call Demarcus Lawrence an outside linebacker, edge rusher, he's one to think. I think the main thing is, can you call the defense that allows Demarcus Lawrence and Jalen Smith and Vander Esch to do what they do best? That's the main thing. And in the secondary, what happened, there was a change, right? Part of the reason why Byron Jones didn't come back is because there was a lot of conversation about Byron Jones not generating turnovers. Well, you don't generate turnovers when you play man-to-man because your back is to the quarterback. If you want to get interceptions, you play zone so you can see the ball come out of the quarterback's hands, which is what we've seen. They played more off, in theory, to get interceptions off tips and overthrows and those things. The thing is, I still think it's a mess in the secondary because Diggs can play that way, but Awuzie and the other guys are not necessarily built to play that way. And so this has to be a meeting of the minds. And the biggest decision that they will make is what to do with Mike Nolan and his scheme because Will McLean, the scouts, they don't know who to go get because everybody doesn't fit how they want to play. And so it's a mess. And because of that, that is what we've seen on the field, a mess. So we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to hit all those topics that Bucky just highlighted. We're going to talk about whether Mike Nolan should be back. We're also going to talk about that secondary. There are a lot of guys that are going to be free agents. And how many of those guys should be coming back? Are they a good scheme fit here in Dallas if Dallas keeps Mike Nolan and decides to go the route that we think he wants to go? We'll do all that when we come right back. This is DallasCowboys.com Radio. We're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears, okay. Let's play. Cream Soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice. Ah, music to my ears and mouth. New Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. A delicious duet. There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizol for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. The Cowboys way, where 16 Hall of Famers and five championships shows us what success looks like. Where turkey is always the second best part of Thanksgiving Day. Where we are all defined by one single thing, the star. Where we as fans know it's our job to keep the tradition going. 
Bank of America is proud to be the official bank of the Dallas Cowboys and to support the quest of living life the Cowboys way. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Dear, it's 1908. Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm, and stop using candles to see at night. It's just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall? Nope. May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Back to the break. Welcome back. It is the final segment of The Break. We are live from the SWBC Mortgage Studios. We're presented by GEICO. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Mike Nolan specifically. And I'm going to start off having Amber answer this question first. How much benefit of the doubt should be given to Mike Nolan because of COVID and what he wanted to do? And and should he get a chance to maybe try this uh, after an offseason where maybe they can get more players that can fit a scheme that it seems like he wants to go to? Amber. No. That's nonsense. There's zero benefit of the doubt here. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. First of all, I don't want to minimize the what's happened with COVID. Obviously, we know how big of an impact that, that has affected everyone around the world. But when it comes to the cowboy, Cowboys and COVID and all of that, when you look at it and you compare other teams in the NFL, the Cowboys have been one of the least affected teams around the NFL. And they haven't really had to deal with something huge or a breakout here with the Cowboys. Now, the way I look at it, you guys talked about scheme just now. This is not a year where you come in trying to implement new things. You need to adjust. You need to adjust to your players. Look at what's not working and make the right changes because this is because of the lack of training camp, you know, the, the lack of the offseason, the ability of being together in person and practicing together uh, for longer periods of times and all that, it's going to affect the whole wanting to teach new things and implement all those things. So I think that Mike Nolan as a a coach, just in general, a coach should be able to um, arrange things to, to, I, I can't think of the right word, but accommodate the players better something that suits the players better and again what one of the things to me is that when something's not working then change it change it, 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 it it's you don't need to be so com- you don't need to overcomplicate things and realistically speaking you cannot change your whole defense you cannot go out in the draft and try to draft all the players that are gonna be benefiting what you're looking to do as far as scheme wise so that's the, the time where you need to take a step back and go for, go out of what you're wanting to do and try to figure out a better game plan for what you have right now that fits your players. So but, don't talk to me about COVID and any of that because there's no benefit of the doubt here. All right, Bucky. Uh, I, th- I think you have to. I think you have to move on. I, I don't think. I don't think you get the benefit of the doubt because when I look at the L.A. Rams and how they become a dominant unit under Brandon Staley his first year, um, a lot of it is due to being a great teacher, being a great communicator, being able to hold guys accountable. And so it's not really about the the scheme. It's about the leadership part of it. And I think Mike McCarthy has said this a few times where he talked about a the chemistry and the continuity, not necessarily of the players but of the coaching staff. And when he said that, my ears perked up. I think there's a little buyer's remorse 
with some of the coaches outside of Mike Nolan that are on the staff, and I don't have anything to say that, but I just believe that from a teaching standpoint, when you have all of the issues that have taken place, somewhere it trickles down from the coordinator to the position coaches where it's not being communicated or taught effectively. And so I think they're going to do a deep dive under the hood to figure out why this wasn't taught and why we're not playing at a level that we should be playing at because it shouldn't be this difficult when I look at some of those teams that are having success on defense with new coordinators. Dave. Are any of the like hundreds of players that get cut or don't get offered contracts with their teams this offseason going to get the benefit of the doubt? Nope. Like if they went out and just didn't perform up to expectations had bad seasons like yeah there, i mean there's a million reasons why that might be the case but front offices probably aren't going to give them the benefit of the doubt like oh cheeto we we just we think you'll be a lot better in a non-pandemic year we don't have a ton of tape that suggests otherwise <laughs> but we're just going to offer you this nice contract because we like you like no that doesn't happen for players it shouldn't happen for coaches uh, and i agree with bucky's point about the rams but i'll even say you know the rams have aaron donald and jalen ramsey like they've got some amazing pieces there but again i'll say it for the millionth time the the new york giants and the carolina panthers both new coaching staff first year nfl head coaches they're not great defenses but they're they're solid especially the giants the giants are in top 10 in scoring you know like a whole new coaching staff asking players to do different things and the giants they have some talented players they've got some first round picks on that defense but not anybody that's you know we're not talking about like the best of the best in the nfl on that defense they're just executing and doing what they're supposed to do and for that matter i can't help but you know i can't help but think about the offseason and training camp like everybody loves to say like oh my god how many times did we hear like actually the virtual installation was really smooth like the guys handled it like pros like nobody mm-hmm. we it was awesome like we did a great job of the virtual installation and now here we are in december and they suck and it's like well of course we suck we did everything virtually well you told me it wasn't a problem so i don't expect it to be a problem and i don't want to make light of the pandemic it's it sucks i'm so sick of it it's mm-hmm. it has affected my life and my mental health. I can't imagine trying to play football at a high level on top of all that. But this is the profession that you have chosen, and and you're at the very top level of it. And it just goes with the dinner, as Jason Garrett likes to say. So no, there's no there's no benefit of the doubt. Let me piggyback on this, uh, Derek, quickly. Um, I think one thing that you have to understand when you talk about the Giants and the scheme that they run. The Giants put a huge priority on making sure that they had high IQ guys on their defense because their defense has a level of complexity. The previous defense that Dallas ran, it didn't necessarily require you to have guys that were high IQ guys because it was very simple and it allowed you to just play on instincts and reactions. And so when you have a room full of guys that may not necessarily be A-level students and then you come in with a complex defense you begin to have some of those issues. And so when they talk about freelancing and those things, it may not have been freelancing. It may have been a lack of comprehension. And the pandemic exposed your ability to teach. And if you're not a good teacher and you can't meet students in different levels, we see what plays out. I'm not saying that I have anything on that, but I think it's something to consider when you think about the mental lapses that occurred early in the year with this defense. Yeah, and I agree with that, Buck. I do think, though, the other thing to consider about that is that also means that 
it's it's equally hard to know and Dave mentioned that that they were talking about how well it was going with the virtual installation well well it's hard to know when you're doing installation virtually whether guys are picking up the information you won't know that until you throw them out on the field so it was probably a little short-sighted yes. for them to make the comment that everything's <laughs> going well they don't know everything's going well they can't see that till they get the guys on the field and especially if they have issues where these guys really aren't comprehending it where the product actually looks like they were not comprehending it they didn't know that until they'd gotten them on the field and my I'm wondering like once they got to training camp and they're having the coaches meetings after each practice I'm wondering how much of the conversation is oh gosh they really don't know what they're doing out there like they look lost now maybe that wasn't happening because they had an offensive line that was really banged up and so it looked like every play your pass rushers are going to get home every play, right? That's how it looked during training camp. And that may have given them a false sense of security. But at some point, they had to figure out once they got these guys on the field, they weren't comprehending the information. And that's coaching. And so that's the part of coaching. Coaching is the ability to see where we are and to make to make changes. And I won't just put this on Mike Nolan. Part of that is on Mike McCarthy, too, because Mike McCarthy has to look and look at all the bewildered defenders and the guys with the wide open, like deer in headlights. Look, he has to say, hey, Mike, tighten this up. We got to scale it back, make it simple. I want the guys to play fast, and I don't care if they line up in court, cover for the entire game. I don't want any mental bust. And so it's all of that. And so part of the reset, if I'm ownership, I'm talking to Mike McCarthy. Hey, man, the first year of your program, like we kind of got sold a bill of goods. And so we need to see that stuff that happened in Green Bay because we're now more inclined to think maybe it was Aaron Rodgers and not the other stuff. And I didn't think it was like that before. Yep. All right, let's move on. Let's, you know, quick, another, go ahead, Amber. I was just going to say another aspect of, of being a great teacher to me is the inspirational and motivational part of it because I think especially in a year like this, you know, uh, and Dave, you mentioned mental health. I mean, this is a year where it has affected all of us. And when you see the the way that the defense was playing at the beginning of the year, the lack of motivation, the lack of energy, that has to do that has to come from whoever the voice is in that room, whoever is speaking. And one of the things that I think this team is missing from Jason Garrett was that part of of being that inspiration and motivating people. We've been in some of those meetings with Jason Garrett talking and we're, I mean, I'm sitting there and at the end of it, I'm like, all right, who do we got to take down? Like I'm motivated. So I, I think that the players need that, needed that. And I feel that's, that's another mental part of the game that we don't talk about enough that I think that they've missed this year. Yeah. Amber, to, to, to go off of that. So when you're building your coaching staff out, you want to make sure that you don't have too many of the same kind of guys. And so Mike McCarthy is kind of laid back. Mike Nolan is laid back. Well, you guys are there. Who is the guy to get them going? Like, who is the who coach is the that stands Richard? up in the room and is like, no. Yeah. Yes. Who is the guy on the defensive staff that is like, no, this is unacceptable. I don't care what you guys are telling me. We're not running to the ball. Look at the tape. 
Yep. You can't have everyone trying to be their friend. Somebody has to be the, the, the parent in the room. You would think Tom Sula's that kind of guy, at least from what I've heard of him. I've never met him because, again, we haven't met most of these guys as we would in a normal year. But you would think he would be that kind of guy that just kind of tells it like it is. But you're right, Bucky. It, 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 we saw the difference when Chris Richard got here and how he was in guys' faces, and that made a difference for that, that first year he was here, I think, uh, where, where guys were taking notice and they were, they were responding to it. And I think that's a big part of it. It was probably – and I think Amber is absolutely right on this. It was probably the best part of what Jason Garrett brings as a coach, in my opinion, is his ability to motivate. Because it was very rare during his time here when you saw them having games where they did, where they lacked effort or where they just got completely blown out. He had a way of getting his team motivated to play. They may not have always made all the right decisions. I, I questioned a lot of things they did from a tactical standpoint. But when it came to motivating his team and getting them ready to play from that standpoint, it seemed like he was very, very, very good at that. Real quick, before we end the show, I did want to talk a little bit about the secondary. Mike McCarthy said this morning on his press conference uh, that some of the young secondary players played well last week. Who did you guys think played well? You had guys like Rashad Robinson, Savion Smith, De Deontay Burton that were out there. Um, and did any of them make a case or starting to make a case that maybe they should be back next year with all of the free agents that you have in the secondary? Let's start first with you, Bucky. I mean, they, they, they played well, but I'm wondering if we dropped our standards so low that we're okay with just not giving, not, not, you know, giving them passing marks because they didn't let the ball fly over the head and it was the Cincinnati right. Bengals. Um, I think Xavier Smith and Rashard Robinson have a role maybe as the fourth and fifth guy, but I think for this team to compete, because you have to remember, this team has to be built to defeat the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins, and those teams aren't going anywhere with the defense that they have. You have to get A-level players in the secondary, and I can't say outside of Diggs that I really would be fired up about bringing any of those guys back that are hanging around as free agents. Amber. Um, I mean, I, I know we're running out of time as far as the season goes, but some of these guys, I mean, I, I just haven't seen enough. It, that game was, wasn't enough for me to base an opinion on them. The one thing that I'll say, though, based on that game and the way that they were playing that I liked was at least the, the fight. We just got done talking about motivation. We know the secondary was struggling with injuries, and a lot of guys, some of those guys got hurt in the game and all that. One of them came back in and all but still, there was the, the, the one to fight and the will to go out there and at least try to play good. So that's the aspect that I saw that I liked from those young players in that game. But as far as performances, that just that wasn't enough for me to base an opinion on them just yet. Dave. I'm definitely, I'm not about to like, it's the Bengals, it's Brandon Allen. Good for you. But I, did, I did think that Richard Robinson played really well. And I... He intrigues me especially. I full disclosure, I'm I'm more familiar with him than most would be because he did go to LSU. He was a fourth. Of course, I'm, of course. Just saying. Of course. I mean, <laughs> just saying. But he is honestly, he is exactly the type of guy that the Cowboys would sign in free agency. You know, he he's a fourth round pick. He's kind of kicked around the league. He started 15 to 20 games, which is not a small amount for a guy who's back of the depth chart. He's a lot like, um, I'm not saying their games are similar, but it's a similar signing to Maurice Kennedy, who people forget about yeah. because he opted out before the season started. So, you know, if, if they want to bring him back to be their fourth or fifth guy because he's dirt cheap, I don't have a problem with that. I think he's played up to that level, but this is we're not talking about a guy who's going to come in and hopefully be a meaningful part of your secondary. Yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm really intrigued by that because you know they're going to need to sign somebody. You know, you know, they always say like you address you address things in free agency so that you don't go into the draft with an insane need. And as it stands right now, they're going to have an insane need if they don't sign somebody. So whether it's Cheeto or Jordan Lewis or somebody from outside, either way, like they're going to need to sign a starting caliber cornerback in free agency and history tells us that they'll probably re-sign one of their own to avoid having to spend as much money i know that's not what people want to hear but that's what i expect so um i'll be interested yeah like i said richard robinson is a guy that i could see them bringing back just so that they say they can say well we've got a guy who's capable of starting in case of emergency yeah you know? don't forget xavier woods there at safety he's also a guy that's going to be a free agent they got a lot of things they got they got work they, they have work they, to do. They can they let him go. Yeah, they can let thing. Xavier Woods you, go. You would think they, with they all those guys. Him, they can let him go. Yeah, you go down that list, and <laughs> you can get rid of a lot of those guys. I think it goes back to what Dave's saying. Now you got to replace them. So Will and his group got to get to work because they're going to have to either go out in free agency or they're going to have to go in the draft, and they're going to have to replace all those guys that they're willing to let walk. And, uh, and, and probably or should both. let us walk. And, or both. Yeah, exactly. All right, we appreciate you guys joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. Bucky's going to join us again to talk just this time, I think, about uh, about the 49ers defense versus the Cowboys offense. But if he wants to stick around, he can stick around and talk a little more Cowboys football with us. Um, Till then, for, for, uh, for Bucky Brooks, Dave Helmer, and for Garcia. <laughs> you heard what I was about to say there. And we miss you, Nick. We'll hopefully have you yeah. back tomorrow. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys tomorrow. This has been The Break Live on DallasCowboys.com. Radio. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!